You are listening to Label Deep Podcast with Khalil Ismail, and today we have a special guest, Marguerite Aziza Hill of Muslim Art. Yeah, well, Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative, um, and we call it Muslim Arc. Um, we were founded in 2014, and what we do is we provide racial justice and anti-racism education. And so what we do is like we create spaces for people for teaching and learning, for people to learn from each other about anti-racism. We connect people through... Um, our digital network, through storytelling and dialogue. Um, and we also cultivate solutions for racial justice and inequity um, through research and curriculum development. Okay, great. Um, so uh, I want to talk, I want to first start out, get right into like basically how you got into this work. But before we do that, I mm-hmm. saw that you um, came to Islam now. You know, I'm going to start right into it. So you, you convert it or revert it because, you know, different depending on the person, some people get offended at the word convert or revert. So, yeah, uh, so you convert in 1993. So tell me, like, for one, before we get into that, what do you do? You prefer a particular word? Um, I use I use the conversion experience um, just, you know, because that's kind of more of the reality i mean i understand the kind of theological you know implication of reverting going back to one's fitra um original state so i mean i i respect both but i mean for me like i mean i i don't like to take on that idea of like convert identity because obviously like the first community of muslims like they all embrace so they were all you know like had to make a choice and everybody in their life has to make that choice it's just not like my environment didn't like i wasn't raised um with to be a muslim so i didn't have a muslim family so it was something i had to learn on my own and make an individual choice so it was a kind of rupture from like kind of like my family culture um so but like for me i also believe it's sometimes like people want to focus on that conversion story right you know like that kind of what was your epiphany right and and that's important but then you know a lot of people convert but do they stay muslim and so i believe like the story of like how does one stay muslim despite some of the odds right to is is the most important story and and a lot of folks don't want to hear that because there there's the struggle there there's not the you know inspiration you know like it's just like well i stayed muslim despite this and i stayed muslim beside beside that you know so um but i did you know the the environment the culture in the early 90s um you know, there was like the Malcolm X movie was recently released. And, um, you know, so everybody was rocking the X hats. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, Afrocentric thought going on, a lot of explorations like that was like both like within, you know, hip hop. uh, There was a lot of um, Muslims in hip hop from Brand Nubian, Poor Righteous Teachers, Rakim, um, Islamic references with Gangstar 
And so, you know, like Islam represented a lot of positivity um, and, you know, strength. I saw Islam like being a, a strong point for the black family. The first Muslims I knew were were, were African-American and, um, you know, and in my exploration of my identity, like I, I started, you know, I started reading about the Islamic influence in Africa, but also on, um, you know, in Islam's influence on Malcolm X. And as I began to read more, I, I thought, Hey, like this could transform me. And I, I really needed and wanted to change my life. And, um, I, you know, it was like something There was like a deep feeling within me, like this was a path that I had to walk. And so, um, you know, I, I went down, my friend took me to Masjid Warthin in Oakland, um, Warthin in Oakland. And that's where I took my, um, Imam Fahim Shuaib gave me my Shahada. I mean, he's probably given so many people, so he'd never remember me, mm. but, um, you know, it was definitely a profound moment that, um, really gave my life meaning. So it's, it's been what, wow. Like, I mean, in September, it'll be 25 years. Wow. Wow. So. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. I'm always, every story, you know, is different. And I, and I totally agree with you. Uh, I tell people all the time that no matter whether you were born, you know, under parents who happen to be Muslim or, you know, you quote converted unquote, you still have to make that choice at some point to be Muslim and to practice. Um, mm-hmm. It just comes in a different way. So, you know, uh, you know, everyone has their test. So um, moving along. So you started in 93. So, you know, a lot of people who, you know, when that's, you know, how they start, they're very starry eyed, they're very idealistic about, you know, what they hear, you know, and, you know, I'm doing this podcast with Um Zakia and she says often Islam is marketed, you know, and she doesn't like to market Islam because, you know, sometimes you sell a, a bill of goods that don't always quite meet up to the expectation that you give. So you being, you know, um, you know, that being your story, were you one of those people who came in thinking one thing and then you had to adjust your mindset and expectation as you went along? No, I, I don't. I, it wasn't something that was marketed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw people walk the walk and that was that was important. I mean, it, it was like coming into religious life and, and then there was the intercultural encounters. So after, you know, so there's a Delane family. So, um, they're like Malik Delane and Jafu, they were, they were Muslim and they were engaged to black women. And, you know, like, I mean, it was just like, wow, mashallah, like they're doing as young black men, going to college. It was just such a very positive example to me. Mm. Like they weren't handing me dawah packet, like pamphlets. They were just respectful young black men. And so it was learning more about Islam. Like, okay, like here's, you know, reading the text, right. As far as, um, the prophet's last speech and, uh, you know, about, about racism and, I mean, and at first, you know, like, I mean, it wasn't like I was pounded on the head with, with, um, with things that went against that. It was, I mean, we were just like young college kids in the MSA, a very diverse college group at De Anza College. It was a community college. And so like my first account, I had two Filipino sisters who, who were raised Muslim, like their dad was Muslim. Um, they taught me how to do voodoo. 
And then I met Libyan girls. And so like in the MSA, it was um, learning about my faith and then learning, you know, sometimes like I would hear a few things, you know, little comments here and there, um, you know, like someone, you know, like they had told me like, oh, I became Muslim and that, um, you know, they're just like, oh, you focus on the outer while we focus on the inner, <laughs> you know? So I was like, what is she talking about? So she was highlighting how she was Sufi. Uh-huh. And I was like, what is this Sufism? So like sometimes like an encounter would have me, um, you know, ask more questions. And then there were just things, little things that would happen that, uh, that I, that would raise a lot of questions. But for me, I mean, it was a very kind of intellectual endeavor as mm. far as like reading lots and lots of books and then diving more and more. Like, so, I mean, I just like devoured whatever was in that community college library. And then when I was um, kind of on hiatus because I had owed tuition, I just went into another library and I would just hang out there all day and just like read old books and read about like, I mean, I, I found out, you know, like I learned about like Fatima Marnisi and stuff going to like a Santa Clara University's library, which I wasn't a student at the time, but I just would hang out there and another student would teach me Arabic. So it wasn't, I mean, the, the Dawa, you know, pamphlets was something that came later. You know, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) And you know what? That might be more of an East Coast thing for real, to be honest, you know. (laughs) I mean, I saw, yeah, you know, I mean, I I think so. I mean, sometimes like where people hand them out or, you know, like there's kind of more organized efforts where people kind of put out the Dawa table. And so for, I think on the, and, you know, like my, my experience was through kind of, coming in through through a family that I knew and then um and then learning to be like my religious life was really like student like MSA life the Muslim Student Association life so um and then I saw the pamphlets and I was like oh okay but this is (laughs) like it was um you know so I've never been you know like the type to like try to you know tell people how you know, Islam is this and women are so like Islam gives women respect when I mean, I already had this kind of historical understanding mm-hmm. of realities. And so and and some of the struggles, you know, as far as like I, I knew that, yeah, like property rights, we were given that. Right. But yet, you know, I mean, I also knew there were inter- other like interpretations that limited women. And so, um, you know, like it was it was definitely I mean, I, I feel you like as far as like that kind of marketing stuff and I've never been a fan of like, here, here's a pamphlet. Right, <laughs> like right, It's right, just right. like, right. you know, I just tell them to read, you know, read yeah. as much as you can. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting because, you know, um, well, you know, the, to, to basically and we just ending the season for on, on prejudice and racism within the Muslim community. Um, now, yeah, so our um, our last uh, basically uh, endeavor was an event. Um, and the interesting thing was how everyone had their own story and everybody's story was different when it mm-hmm. came to how they processed discrimination, racism and prejudice, which, you know, um, it's basically based on their experiences. And so, you know, you giving your experience, um, and basically what you're saying, if I'm understanding right, is that, you know, you were kind of bought along with families who really, you, you had some love around you. It's basically, it sounds like what you're saying, like, you know, you weren't, you didn't feel yeah. like you were alone. Is that correct? 
Yeah, for the first couple months, and then they moved. Oh. <laughs> they moved back to city in Atlanta, and then yeah. I was just on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that's where, I mean, for me, I mean, I, there was no language around to explain the microaggressions that I experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely, you know, being in, in a kind of multicultural environment, but also kind of seeing like how white converts were treated and then certain issues that I faced, the social economic situation or just certain things that they kind of assumed that would be my direction. Um, I really I really struggled with as as, you know, as a young Muslim my own sense of self and, you know, there wasn't a kind of congruence with how I was perceived in the Muslim community and then how, you know, like what I knew about Islam. And, and at the time, I, I mean, I was also, I mean, I was like really poor and without support and without funding, you know, like, I mean, I, I ended up, you know, like a lot of the structural issues around racism, around lack of access to education and everything really impacted me. And I, the community just really didn't have any answers for that. So I just felt like, Hey, they got me marching for their issues. Right. And I mean, I care, like this was around the time of like the Rwandan genocide. And then, you know, you had like the Bosnian genocide and I didn't see a lot of people care about like Rwanda. Um, and then, you know, but the Muslim community was up in arms about, you know, uh, about Bosnia and you know like Palestine as a central issue but yeah I mean I was I was struggling I mean I didn't have tuition money I didn't have a ride like it was okay for me to be on the bus for two hours to get somewhere but no one would even like pick me up because I lived on the wrong side of town you know so it was just like I was subject to a lot of dangers just being a you know single broke black Muslim woman and, um, you know, other people were treated differently. So, I mean, it was a tough journey being kind of one of the few black Muslim women in the community that I, I was in. And, you know, that really prompted a, a lot, probably like a lifelong journey into understanding race in Islam, understanding how I was seen as a black you know, person, because I mean, at the time, like, I was also reading, like, medieval Islamic literature, mm-hmm. and I found some texts, I was just like, it was, like, crazy racist, yeah. and I was like, yeah. wow, you know, and this is, like, as an 18-year-old, you know, 18, 19-year-old, where I was, like, kind of, you know, because I was, like, very, very much in the, in the history, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I was surrounded by kind of more affluent folks, mm-hmm. and, it was definitely like those differences and and struggles that I had shaped my journey. And, and as I had to pick myself back up, get into school, try to finish my undergrad, um, I decided to, um, you know, actually like my, my undergrad journey took 10 years because it was, you know, like there was finances and everything. And um, when... Like I actually went back to school for the final stint to finish finish my uh, bachelor's, and and right around that time uh, it was 9/11, mm-hmm. 
And my advisors, you know, they were like, oh, wow, you're really smart. And why don't you think about going into the academy? What do you want to do? And at that time, like, I mean, I just wanted to be a writer, but I knew I couldn't like feed myself writing. So I was just going to go into tech writing because I was just like, look, I mean, I live in dot com world. So as long as I'm writing something, I'll be happy. And um, and then but when I decided to go into the academy, I decided to explore um, race and Muslim society. So it was definitely informed by some of the like subtle racism, but also like some of the apparent and blatant racism that I experienced. Yeah, that, that, that's a good segue because the next question I was going to ask is what um, what basically made you get into this field? Uh, what, mm-hmm. what gave you the passion? Um, so give me some examples of um, blatant and subtle racism and the difference and, and like tell me like examples of that and then like, what's, what are the difference? What, how do you define the difference? Okay, so um, part of by the time I, so, you know, 25 years is a long, long journey. So we went way back. So now we kind of fast forward. I ended up um, kind of overachieving and, um, you know, got admitted to Stanford where I started doing work on race and Muslim societies. And... Um, what I did encounter there, so like, I mean, I, I studied Arabic in Morocco, and one of the things I would notice was, you know, I mean, not even notice, but just, you know, like a kind of subtle thing of where, um, you know, that the Moroccans, even though like I was Muslim and we're supposed to have this kind of connection, I mean, they're, they were not really interested in, in talking to me or my work, but it was just, you know, the kind of you know, adoration of, of, um, my kind of white classmates like that were in this program. And, Mm. um, and so there was also like, sometimes like when I was in Morocco, like when I went, like they couldn't believe I was American or just like, what? You're like, you know, you're, where are you from? And, you know, they're like, you're not Moroccan, you know? And, and so it was just, you know, it was, in some ways, like they, they identified me as Moroccan. Like, so some people are just like, are you, you know, the little kids were like, are you Moroccan? You know, and they're Arabic. And I was like, nah, you know, so it was just, but I mean, it was just like the amount of like, you know, attention that they would draw on. And, um, and at the same time, it was like, when I was there, I had, I was doing interviews with like on, on, race and Islam. So like I did some work at the, the Tijani, Tariqa, and, and I actually interviewed um, a former slave of the Sultan. And so like he was black, you know, like, so yeah. it was just like, but it was a prestigious position, but then with the decline and then that was like in the South of Morocco. And, um, and then I also knew like there were, there was like some harassment of like African migrant, like um, migrants and refugees and so, you know, like that coming back, like then it just kind of opened up this door where I was like learning Arabic. You start to understand what people say yeah. and how they say it. So like, language proficiency was just like, dang, I wish I didn't know that they could. <laughs> like That's right. what they were saying. Mm. And um, one of the more stark uh, things that had happened, like when I was in Kuwait with like a family that was um, African, both East African and um, the mom was was West African, Nigerian, Ghanaian, and the father was um, was Somali, Eritrean, like Somali. It's a tribe that kind of transcends. So um, the little boy was like a little Bedouin boy, and it was like in the hood of 
Kuwait. And he looked at us and he called us Abid. And that was the first time I heard of that. It was like 2007. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, dang, did he call us? Did he just call us slaves? And my friend just kind of tuned it out. Like, cause she just had been dealing with this stuff for a while. Um, so fast forward, I leave my graduate program. I start teaching at a Muslim school and I got like mad Arabic proficiency at this point. And I start hearing what the, what the um, Arab students are calling both the black teachers, us, the faculty, because mm. we were predominantly mm. like it was half half. Like the student body was predominantly like half African-American, half um, Palestinian-American. And there was like maybe a few South Asians right. um, in North Philly. And um, most of the faculty, besides the Arabic teachers, and um, were black. So we're black women, and um, you know they were calling us Abda and Abid, and I was just like, and then they were talking to each other, and they were using it, and they were appropriating the N word, but then would use it, and then they would call us like slaves and doing it, and then they were just like, no, you know, like some some of the you know, the staff who, you know, bless their hearts, like they're, they're chamois. So they were just like, it's not a bad word, you know? And I was, mm. and I was like, no, nah, it is a bad word. Like that is a straight up slur. Right. There are Sudanese that do not appreciate being called that. Right. And so I saw the impact on the black girls in the school, mm. their self-esteem. I mean, I became Muslim at 18. So I already knew more who I was, yeah. but I saw the, the esteem of how these beautiful black girls saw themselves in Muslim environments. And that just had a profound impact on me, but also some of the bullying. And so we did an assembly, we tried to address it, um, as you know, do, do like the girls assembly and the boys assembly. But it was just like, there was even a student who I really liked. And I remember him walking around, he was just so offended, like he was on the phone and he was just like, I can't believe it. Like, she could have married anyone, but like, mm. you know, an ad. Like, you know, and I was just like, and he was just so upset that like he was referring, like, why did somebody that he admired, like, what somebody that was black? And I was just like, I looked at him, I was like, I heard what you said. Yeah. And that just like, it just drained me. Like, it was like, this was like, you're one of my favorite students and you're just, you know, you're racist. Mm. So that was kind of a, you know, the impact on, on students and then seeing it online, um, had such a, you know, like, and knowing that this was like the supposedly like the next generation and because people say, Oh, the next generation will get better. And I'm just like, wait, I'm seeing a couple generations happen. And, and a lot of my friends kind of go into more, you know, like marry more conservative men, go more into their cultural enclaves. We stop hanging out as much. And, um, yeah. you know, like it, it just really concerned me. So I, I had the idea of before I kind of met people, like I started working, doing an online training course. And um, I wanted to train people to address anti-racism. And that's where I got put in contact Somebody connected me with Namira, who was working on some social media campaigns in 2013 with the plan that during Black History Month that they would do some social media campaigns to address anti-blackness. And so 
I was kind of like a little bit late in the conversation. There was about 20 leaders that mm-hmm. Namira Islam had connected. And, um, you know, so out of that kind of initial group, four of us still kind of remain to plan the social media campaign. Mm-hmm. And out of that, um, that's the kind of core group that Muslim Mark formed. And so it was like about, it was Hind Mackey, uh, Diala, uh, Khalifa, Namir Islam, and myself. And um, we finished organizing the campaigns and rolled them out in February. And then so after a few months, it was um, Namir and I, we kind of, it was like, we, we felt like it was, um, it was a survivor, <laughs> like the island. <laughs> like it was just like, you know, the, <laughs> Like it was just like, okay, like there's the two of us. We finally made it. Right. Who was that one? Like the island. I remember I used to watch that. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we, we, ke- we kept it going. And mm. with the idea that, you know, like if we can educate people, um, that, that was the best way. Because calling out people online, it was just such a disaster. I mean, it was just like people like really held on. Like they just really dug in their heels when they were called out. Even nicely, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, ha- it still happens to this day. So you know, you, you that, your organization is absolutely needed. Um, I, I, um, my my daughter, I had to pull her out of um, school. My daughter five years ago. Um, oh wow! Came, she was five years old at the time, and she came home one day, and I was talking to her just about you know how things were going, and she just mentioned, well, you know, I'm just the, the black girl in the class. He happened to go to a a, a primarily DC school. Um, and she mentioned that and I'm like, how in the world are you saying that at five years old? And, you know, this is a, this is a school that I went to when I was, um, when I was young, one of the schools and I went to many different schools and many different ethnicities. Um, mm-hmm. but this was one of the schools that I went to, um, access the school that Obama visited. Um, and I remember certain things, but when she did that, I, had, I knew that was the last year she was going to be there because it's exactly what you said. I could see happening and I was already scared and weary of it. But, you know, her mother taught at the school. So I was thinking, okay, you know, she could, you know, keep an eye. But, you know, you got kids who literally are calling them names and stuff, you know, at that age. And I'm like, where are you getting that from? And that's that generation that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Their parents, they're young parents now. They were, they're young parents, but it's still being passed down. So you're right. Unless you actually, um, with uh strategic uh and with a with a uh absolute plan go um um try to go against this thing it will just pass itself down so um you know that's really good that you know that you decided to to go into this in, in an organized fashion because you're right it's a lot of there's a lot of people talking and we all have our, like i said we all have our own definitions but it's like how do we go about this in a strategic fashion so the next question i want to ask is um um, the definition of racism, you know, which is, you know, uh, something that, you know, people, you know, you talk to different people and they define it differently. You know, there's some people who, you know, define it from a systematic standpoint and they say that, you know, you know, for example, because you, if you don't have the power in the system, you can't be racist. But then there are others, you know, who are like, you know, that not, might not necessarily be true. Let's say you have power in your organization, you know, then you can be racist if you own the, the, the micro system within the bigger system. So, like, do you have a particular way that you go about uh, um, structuring that and then teaching as a result of that? Or, you know, are you kind of flexible with how people are defining racism? 
Yeah, I mean, we we definitely are flexible. I mean, as far as you know, I mean, we we take the formal definition right of racism, where it is it is the system, right? It's it's this kind of primary organizing operative in in our kind of modern society, and that when you have someone that reinforces that, right? Like, so if we have if if since our society has been structured around the systemic disenfranchisement and exploitation of of people of color specifically really focused on um, black labor, right? The exploitation of black people by dehumanizing them. And then, you know, but also robbing indigenous people of their sovereignty and taking their lands that they moved freely, you know, on. So it's, you know, like, so that's that, but also, you know, I mean, there's like anti-Asian um, there were like laws that were embedded in this society that prevented um, Asian people from immigrating here and but also like Latino pe- people from Mexico, people from from, you know, who have indigenous or, you know, Afro Latino because there was always like they treated people if you were white passing like then they'd be like, OK, but so there were things that were embedded in the society and in the laws and or within the colonial structure like that. We still have the, the the vestiges, even if the laws are wiped away, like it has real impact, right? right. Like in, in that. So like we we recognize that. And so like our goal is to change this system, the system. Mm-hmm. And we feel that, <clears throat> sorry, um, that even if you have um, institutions, like that they're not all insulated from this system, like they may have some buffers to kind of reduce some of the impacts. And so here, here you could have um, other people of color re- participating in the system to pe- perpetuate anti-Black racism. Sure. So, you know, that's a reality. But you also, you know, for us as Muslims, you know, because some people are like, Muslims can't be racist because they don't have power. And it's like, nah, you know, like, I mean, it's like, that's a cop out, Uh, you know, but you also, you know, like, especially when you're talking like Arab South Asians, which you have, you know, and, and I think, you know, South Asians to a certain extent have to kind of own like the kind of pre-colonial history as far as like the trans, the, the Red Sea uh, slave trade. <clears throat> so I have to get a drink of water because I'm I'm getting you know no problem feeling myself or feeling no I'm not feeling myself but no. you know I feel very strongly about these issues yeah I understand I understand and so you know but you also have like within many of the uh, the Muslim societies that are are you know like within I lived in Kuwait Egypt and Morocco where you have black people that in our, this, those societies, some of them indigenous, like they had been there and they they had experienced, you know, hundreds of years of, of, of marginalization in their society or just like their culture suppressed. And so like, say for like Nubians in Egypt and, um, you know, there's black people in Kuwait and, you know, who were brought through, the slave trade. And so, you know, it's, it's not like, okay, like they're just only adopting white supremacist attitudes when they come to United States. Like there's this complex layered stuff that's going on. And when they're dealing with black people in both the broader society and then also we're like, I mean, 
in in Muslim spaces because of I mean what I mean I would say like my my theory is that um, South Asian Arabs have two concentrated places where they interact with the black community mm-hmm. and that's in faith spaces but also in like kind of liquor corner store gas stations where you have these like kind of predatorial right relationships um but there's also within within that you know like there's there's horizontal racism amongst people of color so you know like you could have um where people may may um may discriminate so like i mean i have friends that are um racially ambiguous and and so like they assume like that their husband was um like they went when they were looking renting a property and they my friend like she's 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 black and her husband's mexican and like the the renter is just like we don't rent to black people we're gonna get them out you know like and she's mm-hmm. like we're not living here like we don't rent to mexicans you know like so yeah. there's you know anti-mexican racism like i mean one of my friends she she was actually denied like somebody wanted to marry her but then their father like proposed father-in-law said we don't marry mexicans they they mow our lawns or you know like they serve us so it was just kind of like wow so you you have that which is kind of adopted you know the racism in the society and and it's like you know some people want to climb that totem pole and if that makes them feel better to be you know kind of in their aspirational whiteness i mean i try not to do as much of the psychological analysis because like i'm not you know, I'm black. And so like I, and, and I grew up in predominantly Latino and in like Southeast Asian neighborhood, like a Filipino neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I'm kind of more familiar with the kind of horizontal that like racism that comes in those types of people of color spaces. But it was like, were people browner than me? Like they used to call me the N word and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I grew up like with like Latino and Asian (laughs) racism getting bullied and stuff like before I was Muslim. And I think that was like the thing for me, like knowing that I could not relate to my racist classmates. I didn't want that experience for my daughter. Um, And so, um, yeah, I mean that stuff it's while the schoolyard bullying is real, like, you know, so say for instance, you may have some students who get made fun of by their black students. Like I wouldn't say it was, like their black classmates, I wouldn't say it was like racism because at the end of the day, it's like, it's not leading to like unequal health outcomes. Like black women right now are, have like high morbidity linked to stress. Like the battle fatigue yeah, is just yeah, racism. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. we die in childbirth. Yeah. We die from cancer. Like, you know, and there's right. no economic, economics can't account for, for that. And right. so, right. Um, you know, so there it's, I would just say like, it's really focusing on, on anti-black racism is really key in the linchpin to like get to, if that's the right word, I don't know. I just make up words sometimes, (laughs) but it's like the, um, you know, like if we could get to that, like you humanize everybody, you know, like, cause if you could just, you know. I don't know. Like it's it's just like if we just all make it about kumbaya and and pretend that um, the insidious nature of anti-black racism um, and and multiculturalism and stuff, which a lot of Muslims teach that, which 
teaches us to be silent about how we're being dehumanized and devalued. Um, We're going to still, you know, die, like live shorter lives, you know, and, and suffer, you know, not just like socioeconomically from, from that, but also health wise and spiritually, like that's the thing that really gets me in, in Muslim spaces. It's, it's that, um, our children, when they come out of Islamic schools, they don't want to be at all connected to MSAs. Like, I mean, I know so many people that was like the, was it the matriculation? Like you'll see so many celebrities. They're like, I was raised Muslim. I like, if they're black, they were raised Muslim and they're not like writing books or talking about their Muslim heritage. Like they're just former Muslims. Yeah. 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 And you know, I, I I go to, I talk at a a number of colleges in MSA, talk to MSAs all the time. It's very interesting. Um, Sometimes, and you know, they'll ask me like, how do we reach out to our black the black Muslims on the campus, because, you know, like they don't, they're they're not quite even sure. And they're like, we're trying, but we're not sure. And I, and you know, I had, I had a guy once, you know, actually recently say, you know, like he, he's realizing that he said, I thought I could just be nice to black people and they would, they would be okay. And he was like, now he's realizing there's much more to it. Um, and I guess this is why you're here. I mean, you give trainings and all of that, um, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who, who don't understand. So, you know, we, our podcast specifically is actually about prejudice. Um, and, you know, we see um, racism against black people as the highest form or the or the most, you know, the biggest form right now of prejudice. The, the, mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, that's what we've dealt with the most. Um, but it's not all that we've dealt with. But in your I know I saw that in your uh, on your organization, you basically you, t- you talk about four forms. You say internalized racism, intra-Muslim racism, institutional racism and global system um, so do you have a priority that you that you tackle um, of the four that I mentioned? I think for for us, it's it's both like, I mean, we've taken a transformational approach to anti-racism so that if you're just like, hey, I'm just nice to black people and I, I address like my own prejudice, but you're not actively engaged in like dismantling something that's like racist or or doing some type of intervention then you're just kind of coasting along and enjoying this you know like it's kind of being on that escalator ride you know and then it just kind of you just revert back to that like where it's like it's like being complicit in in the system so Mm -hmm. um when when a lot of black folks have to kind of constantly swim swim upstream against it right just to like stay stay afloat so i mean i for us it's 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 both i mean it's no it's it's the internal which is like the first place because a lot of and what we find is that a lot of times when people do the kind of anti-racism work, like when they kind of approach me they like to talk about other people's racism and it's like no no you got to start with your own and that's like the difficult the most difficult part because a lot of people it just you know, like, I mean, we want to see ourselves as good people and we want to see ourselves as like, you know, like we don't want to kind of have go into a program that kind of points flaws, but it's, it's like, how does one do the self work? That's the most important part. And it's never going to be complete. Like your work isn't going to be complete unless you go deep with inside oneself and look at how have I internalized this system in, in a sense of superiority or my inferiority right. and then doing that healing work. And so 
that's probably like I would say that self-healing work in many ways. Like when somebody comes in, they they do a Muslim art workshop, they invite us and then they're just like, yes, we have you come in and we only want to give you an hour to do this workshop and you're supposed to solve all our racism problems. And it's like, no, that's it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime commitment. And we're going to try to give you the tools to do that lifetime work, you know, because like bringing us for a one off event isn't going to solve the like lack of trust that has been built institutionally, like from people who've been traumatized. Um, And so what we at this stage, even organizationally or um, strategically, I mean, we're just kind of like at the awareness base of anti with most organizations. Mm, yeah. Most people have not committed to the deep, deep work that needs to be done, like right. towards like, uh, you know, dismantling it. And, um, you know, when it gets uncomfortable, then they stop. But we, we, we do believe that there's people that are really committed to the work and they see how, you know, amazing, like beautiful the work can be of like freeing them from, you know, like just being more human and more real, you know, like in, in that and having a space where they could communicate and be seen and being heard and and listen without, you know, all those structures that keep us from really seeing or hearing each other. Right. So um, the intro Muslim racism, which is uh, what, what we've been um, working with a lot, uh, how is it related to um so and do you see internalized racism as something that people aren't aware of that they kind of have to dig up? Is that how you're how are you defining internalized racism? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's both like your subconscious mm-hmm. and then your conscious racism It's like how you think, how you process the world. It's it's, you know, the messaging that you've had that you've internalized from from your culture, from your parents, from your school, from the messages from films, like from everything. So it's like uprooting ones, you know, like addressing ones, you know, implicit bias to, you know, like just kind of like, what are the thoughts that you would never say out loud about stuff like that you'd be embarrassed to say, but you really feel like, you know, like you'd be like deep in my mind, like that's kind of a hidden thought that I'm embarrassed. But like when I see this, This is what I think. And I think a lot of that is kind of like that kind of quiet self work. Um, But obviously, like with the with the intra Muslim stuff, it's, you know, like there's there's ways we can address that where it's a little bit easier to kind of form as an entryway, you know, so we found that kind of framing it as like professional development or, you know, like where you have the idea of like, okay, like you want to do this outreach. Um. How do you have be more like diversity, inclusion and equity? You know, like how do you just make sure your organization is more effective? And um, sometimes like there's a social pressure too for the intra-Muslim work where, you know, like people will see like there's different norms and standards for how we talk to one another. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we can kind of have a little bit more social pressure in, in, um, addressing the intra-Muslim, like the, the internal, it's like, how do you, you can't really police somebody's internalized, like hidden, you know, like they're just like a hidden bigot and they're just quiet because there's a lot and those are dangerous people and they'll be really nice and in your face, but they'll be like, you're like a little racist friend of me, like cutting you down and stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's just, Mm -hmm. um, but with the intro, with the kind of 
interpersonal racism, you know, and this is what's happening within our organizations and where people can learn how to be um, more culturally proficient, competent in dealing in multicultural environments. And so, you know, a lot of our schools, since they're privately funded and they're not, you know, these teachers aren't. And I mean, just imagine like public schools. Like, I mean, you still have like a racist that teacher had the racist podcast, like yeah. the Florida teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, like it, it's kind of and I've witnessed certain things within um, the schools where I'm just like, wow, like these teachers do not know how to interact with students who are not from their same culture. They don't understand the sensitivities or the, the, the trauma that some of the students deal with. So they're making certain assumptions. Um, and so I do think that the interpersonal, it's, it's learning how to have like be an ally, to have some, a positive self-identity to appreciate other people's culture and you know, having, um, having certain skill set to like manage difference and to also, and that sometimes like, that's just a simple apology yeah. of, of, um, when we make a mistake. Cause I find that that's like something like when somebody says, you know, like, Hey, that hurt my feelings. A lot of times people just, you know, if a person has like a privileged social identity like they go kind of berserk on like you know like on people like how dare you say that i stepped on your toes you know it's just like i was never my intent to step on your toes (laughs) and your toe is broken but you're just like i'm just saying can you watch where you're stepping (laughs) it's just like and that's like what we're talking about with like racism (laughs) it's just like you're like i'm not saying you're like you know like you're you're uh you're an inconsiderate person but you're just not looking and you're just stepping on everybody's toes yeah 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 i know it's 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 crazy because i find that perpetuated often by by people who even have less power because you know like i remember it's been a couple of instances where you know a guy will be talking to me for example like you know he's talking about like how he's reading or studying certain things in islam or he's studying with someone he's like man and reading like he sees these crazy racist passages that made him like, and he's and he's reading from people who like a lot of people take from, and you know, and yeah. it's like wow, this is this is crazy. And then it's, and then somebody will jump in and be like, well, they didn't mean it. They you know they they had good intentions, and and it's like, and I had to tell them I was like, look, let him like what you're diluting, you're totally distracting the conversation by not allowing him to to express what he feels and the hurt that he feels. And you're mm-hmm. making the conversation about the person who really, regardless of whether his, you know, may Allah forgive him. It's not really about like, that's not really our business. I'm concerned with this person's hurt and how he can get over it. And we should be more concerned with that since this is, that's the present. That's what's in the present. But we will switch the conversation quick to defending the one who, who, who did the hurt. Even if the person did it on accident on purpose, it's really not the point. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I find that I find that a lot of people do that. Like it's like, and it's almost like I'm like, dang, that, there's almost like some. I always feel like there's some self hate in that. It's like, like when you have self love, then then you want other people to love themselves as well, mm-hmm. and, and and therefore you have a higher sensitivity for when someone is like expressing their pain and trying to get over it. But it's like when you when you're just kind of like when you just kind of feel like, okay, you know what? I'm just supposed to to almost dehumanize people in a positive way. You know, because I don't really I sometimes I wonder if that's a self-love issue as well on the person who is who is distracting like that, you know, so it's a very very interesting thing. 
Um, it's like the gaslighting. I yeah, mean, there, yeah, there's yeah. this like, there's a term that they use like for like, for like sexual abuse. So it's like DARVO. So it's like deny, attack, reverse, victim, offender. So it's just yeah, like, yeah. you become the offender when you point out like this thing that this person did was really hurtful. Then it's just like, oh, how dare you <laughs> accuse me of like hurting you? I'm, you know, like, so they'll gaslight people of saying like that was never their intent. That's not what they meant. And so like that really goes against like, so say like with that saying, you know, like we have that hadith. Well, not the hadith, but I mean, there's a hadith because there's like the part of like how the Prophet Muhammad responds to it. But you have like Abu Dhar and Bilal, like where he told, you know, and this is like one of those famous stories, right? Like where he told Bilal, like, you know, Abu Dhar was like, oh, you would never comprehend, you son of a black woman. Right. And then so, like, Bilal went to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi to, um, you know, and complained. And then, you know, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi said, you know, he's like, oh, Abu Dhar, you got some jahiliya in you. Right. Like, he didn't give, you know, Abu Dhar, like, what he meant was, well, actually, <laughs> right, right, right. are the son of a black woman, so you just need to own that. Like, how dare you come and backbite against him? You know, like, it's just like, they didn't go, but then, like, so then, well, Abu Dhar didn't make excuses, so he just went back and straight up apologized with the yeah. ultimate humility. Yeah. And then you have like the just deep forgiveness of Bilal because it's like that was just, you know, so like for me, like that's the archetype of like how one apologizes yeah. and how one addresses, like calls in what somebody does that's offensive, like racially insensitive or socially, like, you know, you point out that somebody's marginalized identity offend them. And it's like, but people just aren't at that place. But then I guess that's the power of being like the prophet of Allah. Like, you know, yeah, like when yeah, you yeah. the messenger, like the messenger of Allah calls you out, you'd be like, no, that ain't true. It's just like, no, you know, I don't have no jahalia in me. It's like, we all got some jahalia. That's right. That's we right. hurt that's somebody, right. break their toes, or like you, you jab at some part of themselves that they can't you know like it's just like you hurt your brother or sister like you're just like i am sorry for the hurt that i caused so like we actually try to teach like it's like having a whole class like i have to have a two-hour class that people teach people how to properly apologize Like it's just yeah, like, you and then they want to police like and that's another thing people want to police a hurt person's response yeah you know what i'm saying and even though the hurt person might not be, be the best at responding they don't acknowledge that it's a response to hurt like you can't like you know, like you know i tell people all the time like you know like when you're hurt like especially while you're going through the hurt sometimes you just your automatic response is to snap back like if it's physical for example and someone is you know like like you say stepping on your toes you push them off of you now that might yeah. make the other person fall down and hurt themselves a little bit right but you know, if you acknowledge what you're supposed to acknowledge and you're just, you say, well, I was stepping on your toe. You're not going to be like, well, you should apologize to me because you pushed yeah. me down. Like, wait a minute. Hold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And then you're just like in a, in a lock, like who's going to apologize. Right. 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 Like, right, right. the person who has the broke toe, you right, know, right, like, right. like, I'm so sorry. I pushed you. <laughs> and you don't even get a real apology. Right. You know, they'd be like, well, I didn't mean what I said, exactly, you know, like, and it's just, exactly, and this exactly. is the kind of thing, but a lot of it, like what we try to do is get to the, um, to the kind of um, 
core needs of what people do. So like in some of our, our approaches is like we, we find that some of the more traditional, like because people have been doing anti-racism work. They've been doing amazing work for decades before sure. us. Sure. And so, you know, we're building, you know, like we're, we're working with just some amazing people of color and great allies that have ultimate humility. But I'm recognizing like most people aren't there yet. Yeah. And what keeps us from yeah. getting to that place is our trauma, our hurt, yeah. our emotional needs. Yeah. And so like if we can, so like we, we try to incorporate nonviolent communication and other skills for compassionate communication um, into our work so that both like, so even the person who's traumatized was like, look, like my toes have almost been amputated because they're always getting stepped on. Right. So like if you think somebody's coming near us, you know, Ooh, like yeah. ready to pop. You ready to punch somebody? You like mm-hmm. try to come near my toes? That's right. That's right. So, That's right. That's right. That's right. And so, like you know, like we'd be like, okay, like let's, you know, like we're we're starting to work on like, hey, like we we can learn to deal with our our you know reactions, right? Like That's we right. can learn to heal and, and deal with this person as a human being, right? And that they have foibles, and that we could have compassion. For them, as somebody that's caught up in this system, it's like it's not even that their fault, you know. Like yeah, that yeah, sometimes, yeah. like when people do the scripts, because there's like a really great book, The Conspiracy of Silence by Daryl Wing Sue, mm-hmm. and it's like some like we act like it's a script, mm-hmm. you know. Like it's just mm-hmm. like even as a black person in the race talk, like our frustration and anger, yeah. um, white fragility, that's a real thing, you yeah. know. Like it's just like how we are as people so like what we're trying to do is break the script so that we could be more fully human and more fully free from the system of oppression that you know affects us all and dehumanizes us all right 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 now i hear you and you know you know i think and i think like you know i always tell people like islam is prioritizing and i think you know when people mm-hmm. understand that like it's it's not about not addressing anything but it's about understanding what to address one two three four five and everything is not equal and you have mm-hmm. to, and that's being just and fair is recognizing what is, you know, what is most important. And OK, now that's taken care of. Now we got to do this one and that type of thing. And sometimes it's not mutually exclusive. Sometimes you have to address two things at one time, but you still have to put more attention on one thing and, and yeah. other attention on another. And that's where it becomes complex. So um, we are um, close. Approaching the end, you know, this has been a very easy conversation. So I'm going to move to the our last um, or the the last topic, and that's Black Panther. <laughs> Real quick, oh. I want I want to discuss Black Panther because you know it's been a discussion in the Muslim community. Now we have angles with that, and um, and then after that, I'm going to ask you like some pointers that you can give our listeners as to how because we have a lot of listeners who are actually not black, and many people who have actually come to me and asked me like, what do they do? So I want to ask you your um some tips and pointers that you can give and then you know we'll give the information but first before that i want i want to ask you about like black panther because we know that there have been you know from the muslim standpoint there's been some some conversations that have been had you know some people have called it some muslims have called it um islamophobic you know some muslims have been very critical other muslims have been very defense defensive at the fact that it was called islamophobic and then there's some in between you know, um, so what 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 is your do you do you have an assessment of that and how does that relate to what you're doing? Yeah, well, I wrote two articles. One, I mean, my first article was just really reflecting on just how impactful the film was for me. Yeah. Um, you know, as a black woman seeing it. Um, the second one was addressing the kind of 
Islamophobia claim. And, yeah. and, and so for me, like I, I, you know, I mean, the film had a lot of elements. I mean, like to see, to see the, um, influence of like the, you know, like within Wakanda, the, the, uh, merchant clans, you know, which was like very like influenced by like the Tuareg and the, um, you know, like, you, I mean, even before the video came, like the, right. the movie came out, the video, Kendrick Lamar right. and SZA's right. video, right. which right. I had Muslims in it, had a full on hijabi in the video right. and the, right. right. and the Evo hats, which, you know, are like akin to the Moroccan, like the, to the, to the Fez. Mm. So it's like, you know, you see a lot of borrowing that happens in, in Muslim, like in African societies and, um, so like for me, like and to see the the influence of the Jinnim Masjid in in Wakanda and the clothing that Black Muslims wear right. was just very powerful to um to to you know and it was also affirming to see bring back our girls and I feel that you know that's the first key right is like you got to work on not being as concerned with how you know, the dominant society sees us, but, mm. you know, whether that reinforces, if something reinforces or challenges a stereotype, because that's, you know, you could find anything to reinforce or challenge a stereotype, mm-hmm. but Muslims have to be, that doesn't make it in and of itself Islamophobic. It's your framework that around the issue that makes it mm. Islamophobic. Yeah. And was the film honoring bring back our girls as a movement where there's girls that are still missing. And this week, like last week that they were kidnapped. So does this highlight the plight of young black girls in, in the African country who are being exploited? Right. Yes. You know, right, right, right. Does it matter? Like, who did it? Or if we're concerned, like, oh, you know, so if you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, are we kind of more concerned with how Muslims are perceived than the lives mm. of black girls? Mm. And so I would contend mm. that black girls' lives matter more mm. than something that may reinforce a stereotype that we're concerned mm. about. So, all right. So yeah. let me, let me, let me, let me hit you with this. Cause, all right. I'm going to hit you with the whole, where yeah. I was with it. So I, when I saw the film for one, I did not think it was a slime phobia. That was the last thing that came in my mind, but I did note, and I hadn't seen anyone else's opinion. I did note, like, you know, of course that, that, that part of the, you know, the, of the video of the movie. And I did note like the change in clothes and I didn't like it. I'm going to be honest. I didn't like it, but you know what I'm saying? At the same time, I was it wasn't something that was like super like big to me because I see that type of stuff all the time in media. You know, and mm-hmm. I remember sometimes people, you know, made the you know, some people uh, you know, said that okay, it was like, you know, a small part of the movie, but people don't realize like when you do movies and you know how many takes it takes, you know, that 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 scene could have took like two <laughs> hours to make and you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, people don't I have no idea how meticulous and strategic you have to be with every minute of a movie. Like it's crazy. That's why it takes you yeah. years to make sometimes. But and so I don't I mean it wasn't like by happenstance as much as people say it. Now was it a, was it an attack on a slam? I can't say I will not i will never i will not call that one way or the other i will say that i, I did feel like i i give people i think i give people room to to draw because this is what media and, and and movies are supposed to do i give people the room to draw their own conclusions when it comes to art on both sides you know what i'm saying and you know but at the same time so i'm very i'm careful with like making people feel like okay who did who felt like okay that made it islamophobic i'm careful with making them feel like they don't have a point at all 
with all of the stuff that goes on in movies. But with the rest of the movie and how everything went, it, it made me say, okay, this is, this is, you know, this is not Simonphobic. And, you know, overall, I had a very, very positive review of it. And, I, yeah. and it, was, it was very inspirational and that type of thing. But that wasn't, no, I, that wasn't, no, that personally, it did, it did rub me the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? And there were people who were like saying, and I've been to, you know, West Africa. I've been uh, to a couple countries in West Africa, been in South Africa. And, you know, they're, they're no, cause people made the point that, you know, they took off, they did, they still recovered, but they weren't covered. Like, and some, somebody even made a point. It was like, they were more covered, covered like Salafis. And I'm like, no, there's a lot of people in West Africa who, who are, who do not claim Salafi. They sing and dance. They don't have this harsh, strict, and not, not even all Salafis are like that. But, you know, so it was like, yeah. I saw this argument on both sides and it was very interesting to me. So I wanted to know your take on it. I, I, I actually agree. I like, I like your point about, about the fact that the, the girls being the, in the front and those, and somebody doing something about rescuing those girls. And, and it's, you know, because there's still an issue to this day that nobody really talks about. And so it's like, if you really cared, why are you jumping on this issue now? Like, if you really care, like you haven't been around, you're, you're not rallying for this issue, but now you want to jump on it, you know, when you see a bunch of black, black people celebrating. So it is very, I will say that that was very suspect. Like when I saw people super and hypercritical, I was not, I was not trusting at all of people's criticism who were non-black because it felt like, it was like, y'all don't pay no attention to this stuff. Why are you paying attention and now? It's like, and it's like, how dare you right. black people depict my religion in a certain way right, um, right so it was like it was right, an right, extra right. offense like mm. black people can't have a certain lens that somehow you know because like if you assume a certain superiority over black people right right and they have a critique of your culture i mean the backlash of when you have a sense of social superiority is like usually harsher yeah so i mean i do because you know like within a lot of the marvel movies are like some islamophobic yeah. elements yeah. nobody yeah. was writing think pieces talking about boy that's right. That's, that's right. Though, yeah, that's the, that's, that's in the right. purview of white people yeah. to um, to look at us as hostile, but like black people, how dare they? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like, I mean, you could read into it what you want, but like, I mean, that's, I mean, I would get that too. Like, of, of people when they saw like you know a black person being prejudiced, it was just like this extra indignation, like in the black person is prejudiced against me. Um, so that's that's part of it. The other part, I mean, I, I kind of do agree in many ways, like as far as like, um, yeah, like the symbolism, you know, so I think that they took the symbolism of this dress, right? And then focused on like, what did the Chibuk girls look like when they were freed? Right. right and that right. was what they were focusing on, right? right like right. here is this since but then at the same time you had like nakia fighting in the outfit right, you know right, she right, looks right. so pretty in hijab <laughs> right i know you know she's gorgeous right mashallah. so i mean it was just like there was this mixture of it and and i think that was the focus on like you know like how now um i mean that style of of himar is probably not indigenous to that region. And like when women practice Purda, it was in Northern Nigeria. Like they just stayed in the house. Yeah. You know, like yeah, it's just yeah, like, they yeah, didn't yeah. like, you didn't have pictures of them. Yeah, like they yeah. just, they walked out at night yeah, and they wore right. their traditional right. garbs. Right. So um, I think it was kind of a cultural symbolic thing that it, if it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, yeah. like as, as someone who, you know, but I also know even internal within the black community are debates about our hijab. Like I've had, yeah. I've gone to some Muslim spaces and they've looked at me as being like, um, 
as being like Arab cent Arab centric mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. of how I wear my khimar and like mm -hmm. in my mind I'm like actually my like and I actually now prefer it with the wrap but I'm like oh this is like a modified Sahelian version <laughs> like because right. it was like the big thing like the big wrap yeah. and like put it on but I was like but I could only do it small because I got to move around right because right, it's right, like right. you know right. like it, it it is a huge debate on like how we wear our scar are we having more Arab influences of what is proper hijab? Right. I don't know if the filmmakers did that, but I thought it was, I mean, I was happy that they all still had like a little underscarf. And yeah, they, they, you know, they, right, 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 right. Um, right and they right. were still dressed modest. It wasn't like, we're in a bikini now. We're free. <laughs> right, right, um, right, 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 right. Exactly. But like, I still felt like they still complied within the, 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 cultural stent norms of, yeah. of modesty. Sure. Um, obviously within the past hundred years have been more external influences of what does the kind of outside practice of, cause you know, like back then it was like the hijab, which was like, you have the curtain which yeah. meant like they, the women went into seclusion yeah. and in public. So yeah. that was, you know, so yeah. there was a lot of like kind of deeper context things around cold that I, I felt like that could be read into it than just like, we're free from, but like that, I think that they really focused on we're free from this stuff that the Boko Haram forced us to wear, which looks more like kind of a Middle Eastern influence kind of, you know, like right, it's right, just right, like right. something that's not right. part of this culture as much. Um, right, right, right. And so, but then there was like other places where, you know, like you had people, like people wearing the litham, mm -hmm. which is like, come on, if you're wearing a turban and a veil, we know like that's the Muslim style, you know, like, or yeah. their hair was covered. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like hard to tell, like where there's this fluidity yeah. around identity, which is very like African and, you know, black Muslimish, you know, like, right, so, right, 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 right. um, I, I really felt like that was like such a small, like a one second unveiling. And, and, and yeah, like it could be like, oh, how does this make us seem? But like, I mean, my daughter, when she watched the movie, like she wasn't just like, why did they take it off? <laughs> but when she saw T'Challa in the ancestral plane she's like is he muslim right. so she was like even like she saw his garb and she's sick and she thought saw his garb like the clothing looked very muslim to her yeah and yeah, yeah, um yeah. Yeah. you know so that was something like i was just kind of like is this going to negatively impact my daughter is their unveiling mm. going to you know mm. kind of reinforce something are like mm. people going to try to snatch off black muslim women's garb mm. nobody there hasn't been any spike mm. in Islamophobia <laughs> black people right unlike other right. movies that right. have been phobic you know yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, no for report real. you know for real. Like, no, you write about that Panda right. forever and then take off your scarf <laughs> yeah no i mean you're right about that and i and i tend to agree with what you're saying um i would yeah. say you know actually you know the funny the thing about me and you know what the, the long, i just made a post on facebook about it i just tell because i do want like a person as a person who makes media and who makes music and understands the power of it understands the science of it actually um i'm always i always want people to point out every little thing that they see because that's how you don't get programmed it's important even yeah. you know whether you process it wrong or right as long as you're, if you're pointing it out so like for me you know my only other point to people not so it wasn't even so much a criticism but just to beware as a muslim you know just watch mm -hmm. out for the the, the worship the ancestor worship in the shirk part you know not that yeah. you know not that you know 
uh, I know that that's what they do. So I'm not I, I they had to depict the movie. Right. So I'm not even critiquing that They shouldn't have done that. You know what I'm saying? But just the idea that as a Muslim, when you're watching any media, it's just like when you're when you're watching um, mov- movies where where white man is superhero, like in 90 percent of the movies where basically the white guy saves the day, you're you're understanding that there's a, even some shirt going on in that that you got to be careful about, you know, so just being fair you know, about the fact that these are things that you watch with it, you know, because, you know, Shaitan, you know, as the prophet Solomon said in his last sermon, Shaitan has failed in getting you in the, in the big things. He's going to get you in the subtle things, the small, the little mm-hmm. things. And so it's important that we as Muslims, we just take a note. All right. This is something that I got to watch. And this is something that, if, for example, I'm telling my, if I'm watching my kids, this is what I, that this is the falsehood from tr- from truth that I decipher for their Islamic reinforcement. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean, for example, you don't get to celebrate the good parts of the movie. I mean, we know that, you know, the Muslims celebrated the, the victory of the Byzantine Empire, you know, I mean, over the, the Persians, the Rostrians, because they were closer in faith. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So, again, we are, you know, we got to get out of this zero sum kind of thing, you know, and, and kind of dissect things with nuance. And so, you know, so overall, like I thought, and I'm and man, like the old the depiction of women and and being warriors and intelligent, that was awesome. That was beautiful to me. So it was so many things I was just beautiful and 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 re and reaffirming and inspirational about it, you know. And then at the same time, like I said, like you know, just but just note these things for your faith because, you know, these are things that can seep in if you're like, oh, if you. It's like what happens is one of the things that I happen that, that I feel like happens sometimes when we are victimized so much is that we respond by def- we might respond by even defending wrong things just yeah, because we're hurt. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And and but you, we got to be careful with our soul on those things because that you know we are what we repeat. If you're not careful and you know if you're not like a Muslim is still one who acknowledges right from wrong regardless of whether they're feeling good or bad about it. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's, that's the only thing I would say. But other than but but overall, like you know. I think it was, you know, beautiful. It was a, it was a beautiful, you know. I'm, I'm probably gonna watch it again, you know. And I watched um, it again yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and you know, and and, and last, I will say, like, I mean, the, to see the 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 the, the, the kind of criticism I saw from people that weren't black, it really made me even more just like it, it disgusted me. I can't lie from a personal standpoint. It was kind of disgusting. It's like, yo, of all the things that you want to tackle, really. Of all yeah. the movies that you want to, uh, now you want to be a media, <laughs> now you want to be a media uh, critique, uh, you know, now, you know what I'm saying? So that was, you know, that was like, you know, but that I was, was my disappointed like that was the, like, that was the Muslim reaction. So like when people Google that, like when people be like, well, <laughs> the Black Panther, like I'm legit embarrassed. Right, like right, I right. just, so that was like one of the reasons why, I mean, like, I mean, I lost a lot of work hours, you know, like, I mean, I was like working overtime, like, I mean, I do work overtime for, yeah. but like, I mean, I just was like, let me put out this article yeah. to talk about, you know, some like a deeper kind of understanding, you know, like to just kind of like process and, um, cause I hadn't really seen too many pieces from a, from a Muslim perspective. Right. So I just, so I was like, let me put something out there. And that okay. if, and then also like to counter, you know, to see like a published article and that, you know, <laughs> and, and also like what, what were people in Nigeria saying, you know, who were kind of closer to the event. Yeah, and yeah. So I had some, some tweets like where, um, you know, uh, Sunny Yusuf on Twitter, like, uh, he had said a Black Panther started with a scene in Nigeria from an area I am closely from where they spoke a language I understood. A Marvel movie had a language I understood. I felt like flying 
like that within wow. itself, just mm-hmm. like, you know, like, and I'm like really bad. Like I can't prep, but like to, 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 to see nobility, like the way, like I grew up, we watched the gods must, uh, the gods must be crazy as a film. And it was like, so we used to make fun of like African languages. Cause we, mm. we were fed like how mm. primitive they were, but just to see these African, like, and then I watched Shaka Zulu, which was like dope. Like yeah. it was just like, but we didn't really see Shaka Zulu, like, you know, like kind of hear any of the clicking languages, but to see that with like in nobility and right. to see, to, to, so like my imagination within our own historic, like historical thing, it just like, it opens up the world of history, like where we could see, see our own people as like noble and that reframes even like cultures, you know, like from that national geographic lens where it was almost like, let's go in a safari, you know? And it's like, here, like, let's like understand our own history from a deeper, you know, a deep, you know, like this, this lens that looks into it deep and see, like, understand, like, some of these societies that they had, like, where people ran states that were as large as the United States. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it was just like, that's, yeah. that's the reality, like, yeah. with the, um, you know, like the kingdom of Mali, or even like, you know, when you're taking like some of the, the Saharan tribes, or even, you know, like, it was just, you have like massive empires and right. like trade routes and, right. and, and, um, you know, like, and to make that accessible, like, as I'm an Africanist historian, like, I spent, like, four years in graduate school working on this stuff, and it was, like, it really helped me, right, like, but it was, like, not everybody has, has access to read densely written academic jargony books, (laughs) you know, like, like (laughs) history about the Great Lakes societies, and this kind of just, like, I feel like it just really opened up, um, black folks to like uproot that kind of that anti-African you know narrative that we were force-fed you know that's Mm -hmm. like why Malcolm X like who told you to hate yourself like who told you to hate yourself and that was part of the white supremacy like they tried to make us seem like I think there was like a senator recently like somebody in Florida said like they were glad that they were like be slavery because else they would have been worshiping trees and I was like are you kidding me No, like I mean, five hundred years of brutality and the and the and the trauma, like, you know, like, but that's what people wrote. Yeah, that's what people wrote. Even slaves are just like that's what they told us. Yeah, and to be like, you know, like, no, like we had, you know, not to say that, like, I don't believe in the idealized version of Africa, and I think that the film did that too, of really showing. Yes, you know, by showing that scene that Africans can oppress each other and yeah. so what yeah. the other strength of the film what did was really focus black people on black people but also talk about how colonialism helped you know like kind of like rev up those tensions and so like it wasn't like blame the man you know like right. it was just like yeah the man is a problem the man is the problem too but like we got to first start within ourselves and then with that with our with our own people and be more unified to like utilize our tools for collective liberation. And if somebody walked away, taking away something else from that, that's terrible. You know, like, I mean, it really made me wonder like how, and then some people, they were upset, like, cause they, the only thing that they could see themselves in was that Muslims, you know, like the scene about the girls being forced to dress like, you know, 
vocal um detainees you know and and that's all they could kind of focus on or they wanted to see themselves directly in that and i was like you don't have like (laughs) how many films do i watch where i don't see myself like they're playing irtigal and they're not going to show i bet you anything they're not going to show a single black slave in that movie in that whole series Nobody black in there. I've watched so many Arab serials, so many things. They just show nobody black, even though there were black people historically in that time. Do am I going to be like watch Air to Go and be like, why? How come this? They didn't show the Seljuk Turks and show any of the black slaves that were kidnapped right. and brought there in captivity. Right, you know, like right, so. Right, like, right, no, right. I'm going to watch it and I'll be like, this is part of their kind of narrative building work. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and and for me, like, especially as a media maker, I'm just like, yo, I don't need, I don't, I'm not even asking them. I don't need you to represent me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want us to to, to focus on supporting us so that we can, mm-hmm. we can, like, if we want to be represented in media, then we need to make sure that we're supporting the people, sort of supporting the people who are doing it, you know, supporting the people, at least who we like who are doing it so that, you know what I'm saying? So that they can grow and, and do it in such a way that it gives it justice. You know, like, there's a whole, yeah. a whole group of people who hate Tyler Perry, right? They hate him. They hate him <laughs> as a director, right? But at the end of the day, Tyler Perry, rep- uh, the reason why he's successful is because he represents a group of people that, and they're like, yo, this is how we are, right? And and at the end of the day, other people can hate it as much as possible, right? But there is a group of people that he resonates with. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't need him to rep- I don't need him to represent me either. And I think what happens is, is like, like we get into these modes where we're just like, because we don't have the representation, like we we, we want it so bad. We want other people to do it so bad. But I'm like, I've always been like, yo, we got to do this ourselves. And like you said, that was, and that was also in my Facebook review. That was the biggest part of the part of the movie that I, that I gave applauded. And it's an Islamic principle too. It's like, look, yo, if your people are down, you know, then it's your responsibility to find a way to help them. You know what I'm saying? And that was like the biggest, that was the biggest lesson, moral Mm -hmm. lesson of the movie. Like, no, we can't sit back if we have a little bit more privilege than the rest, those who have more privilege than the rest, we can't just sit back and watch as our people are destroyed. That was the biggest, and that's an Islamic principle. And that's, yeah. I mean, and, and ultimately that's one of the reasons why we do this, we're doing this podcast is to kind of also push people to learn the difference between following people versus principle. If you follow principle mm-hmm. and you make principle the most important thing, then, you know, you'll give people room to err and make mistakes. So moving moving into the next to the last part, I just want to know, like as a you know a person who's been doing this work for as long as you've been doing it, what are some tips you can give the average everyday person, you know, who, who are, who's trying to figure out, okay, you know, how do I even start the process of uprooting the internalized racism within me, and then maybe get into the point where I can actually you know interact with people in a fair manner? How what are some tips, just some practical tips that you can give, and then after that you can give like your information about your organization. And to, you know, so they can get a deeper dive. But I'm sure there's some practical things you can give people to start with. Yeah, well, you know, like there are some um, some assessments that you could take to see kind of like as far as what is the type of work does it take to really uproot racism? Um, And one one place, you know, that there's an implicit association test. Some people don't like their results or but when they do, like if you're able to kind of face some of that then you can actually begin to think about how like with your implicit, you know, bias, it's like, well, how does this show up in my relationships with people and my certain assumptions? Do I feel discomfort? You know, if I'm in an all 
you know, like, it, you know, because they, they have a black, white implicit association. And so so for me, like I have um, a slight preference for black people. And so it's just like so when I go into all white environment, I'm going to be like, I know, like I, I feel stressed. Like I'm just like, oh, I'm going to get it. <laughs> like It's just like they're going to look at me a certain way. And then I have to like really when I interact with somebody that's white, like really be like, OK, like I'm going to treat them right not from my hurt and trauma in the past, but I'm going to treat them as a human being because that's what Allah, right. that would be pleasing to Allah. Right. Right. right so right. it's just like, but like when I go into an environment, I may have to be like on guard, but it's like, I try to treat every individual as an individual, knowing that even from my position, right? Like I don't have the, the power and I'm not in like perpetuating a system that dehumanizes them, but that's addressing my own prejudice. Sure. In a in a in a environment, you know, um, and that's what Islam gave me. Because sure. I think if I had not become Muslim and embraced them, I would have had so much racial hubris from like how I grew up. Because I didn't even go into like all the killmonger. Like, You've been so, killmonger yeah. out I, here, I, right? <laughs> you know, my last name is Hill. Killmonger. And I would have just been like really angry and stuff, but like it really kind of, it really freed me. Yeah. Um, and it was hard. It was, it's still like, I still got to work on it. Um, you know, so, yeah. so that's what we, we, you know, that's a, that's a great tool. Implicit.harvard.edu. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some free assessments. Like I know, um, like you, we, we provide an assessment and we're going to try to like make, make it available online for anti-racism behavior mm-hmm. to kind of see like what are what are some like the core competencies to be somebody that that is um you know who can address both the kind of internal like do you know enough you know like so there are some like really great books to read on um racism so it's like there's um one by uh, Beverly Tatum. It's like why all the ki- uh, black kids in the cafeteria sit together. Mm. That is an excellent like okay. starter read. You know, like there's, um, you know, like there's a lot of great tools, especially for those. Like, you know, like, I know, like some people, they may be a little bit, um, you know, like skeptical about somebody. Like, oh, do I market my organization? But I mean, we really tried to make our anti-racism training accessible to lay people by providing online resources. So MuslimArc.org, like we have like some free, like some free workshops for our members um, that we provide. And so, like our membership, we we try to cover membership monthly. But you know, we also have a sliding scale. So, say if someone's like, look, we, I can't afford it. Just let us know, you know, like you can um, contact us and um, we'll open it, open it up for you. Because we really want people to get the, the basic training um, to understand uh, both Muslim, like how does uh, racism operate in Muslim communities, but also in, in, in a society, but also some kind of key skills in allyship and in, in addressing um, racial, uh, racial privilege and how does that affect our human relationships? Because like sometimes privilege, when you don't experience certain things, it puts blind, you know, blinders on where you, you know, like like the horse, you know, like where they can't see, they yeah. don't have peripheral vision. Yeah. And so, um, you know, at muslimart.org um, front slash join, like that's where you can find out about joining. Um, we we also have like webinars and everything. So we, we try to really follow our, like our, 
a Facebook page and or Twitter because we do release a lot of great information and articles that other people are doing. Um, and um, we definitely think like rather reading, watching, watching documentaries, like there's the 13th, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Such a great documentary, which really highlights just, you know, how modern day slavery is operating within the criminal justice system. Right. Um, right. Trying to think if there's some other other great resources, but um, you know, like we we kind of try to provide a portal and an ease for accessibility for our faith community and navigating it. There's also like a really great study that like ISPU has like on getting race right mm-hmm. um, in Muslim communities. So I would say like those are kind of great starter points, like MuslimArc.org, and um, you know, to get access, you know, to kind of nat- like. When people go to our website, they're just like, I was just surfing and looking and there's like all these like <laughs> resources and, right. you know, like sometimes like you may just have to sign up on our mailing list and then you could have access to our free resources. And like we have like a list of books to begin, you know, start reading and, um, you know, and hopefully we'll have soon like a list of like for those who kind of prefer like podcasts like yours. So we'll put that as like a resource, like audio visual resources to learn more about racism. And then um, we also publish like the um, Ramadan anti-racism, which has like, like pretty much like 10 kind of key steps, but we break it down into like activities you could do to like build bridges, you know, but also dismantle the barriers, you know, races, you know, that racism um, causes within our communities and society. Awesome. That's, that's, that's great. So now I really appreciate that. Um, so give everyone like all of your social media handles and your website again, just so they have it. Okay. So you can follow us at MuslimARC.org. Um, um, so that's like our website. Um, be sure to sign up for our, uh, our mailing list. Um, we're on Twitter at Muslim ARC. Um, and then uh, Facebook also. Let's see. So I believe that's also front, Facebook front slash Muslim ARC. And you can find us there. And you can follow my Twitter just make sure I got it right. <laughs> this okay. is like Marky <laughs> right. underscore. So M-A-R-G-A-R-I at uh, underscore Aziza, A-Z-I-Z-A. And um, so you can follow me on Twitter there. I am usually have like my late night or like bedtime um, social media, like my little Twitter threads that go on late at night. <laughs> right, right, right. I really, really appreciate it. It was very, very interesting conversation. Um, I think people can get a lot out of it. Um, so for everyone, we're, you're listening to Label Deep Podcast with Khalil Ismail and our special guest, Margarita Ziza Hill. And we thank everyone for listening. When a little baby girl was buried alive, rise from the dirt to the palaces of light in the gardens, in the gardens, in the gardens, in the gardens. Victim of rape, no longer be ashamed. May have got a body, but a soul he couldn't claim. For the gardens, for the gardens, for the gardens, for the gardens. Where the lower class citizens 